this is Farah Osbeck. Welcome back to Military Law and Life Matters, the podcast that arms you with knowledge so you don't become a victim of injustice. So this is part of my podcast series where I interview attorneys from the military community. Many of the attorneys are former military JAGs and have a passion for helping the military community. I am very excited to be speaking to attorney Marin Calvert today. Marin is a partner at the law firm Schwabi, Williamson & Wyatt, where she focuses on real estate and construction. Marin attended the United States Air Force Academy, where she was a distinguished graduate. She graduated from UCLA Law School and had a very distinguished career in the United States Air Force as both an active duty and reserve judge advocate. Marin returned from the Air, retired from the Air Force Reserve in 2018. She has a varied background in both government and in the private sector. In her private practice, Marin is adept both in and out of the courtroom. She currently negotiates land use applications, development agreements, and public-private partnerships. Marin appears in court and administrative hearings and is working to transform dispute resolution through her civil, civil collaborative law and mediation practice. She loves to overcome regulatory hurdles and aspires to help her clients work with the government to responsibly grow and improve the economic and social health of our community. Before moving to Vancouver, Washington in 2018, Marin's last military assignment was at the Pentagon. Before her current employment, Marin practiced law at Alston Hunt, Floyd and Inc., now Denton's in Honolulu, Hawaii, and Skadden Arp Slate, Marin Flom in Los Angeles, California. Marin will discuss various alternatives to going to court and litigating a civil dispute. Very interesting conversation with lots of very useful information for those of you who want to look for other alternatives rather than going to court and suing, which could take years, stress, and a lot of money. I know you will enjoy this conversation with attorney Marin Calvert, and I'm going to introduce you to her shortly. Hi. Hi, Marin. How are you doing? I'm doing well. How are you, Farah? I'm doing very well, Marin. So um, thank you so much for taking the time to speak uh, to me today. And, uh, you know, Marin, for our, for our listeners, Marin and I both serve in the Air Force's JAGs. Unfortunately, our paths never crossed in the Air Force, but I'm, I'm so glad we were able to connect to do this interview. And I'm so grateful you've taken your time. I know you're very busy, um, but I'm really happy you're taking time to share your expertise with our listeners. And I've already introduced you to our audience, and I've talked about your very impressive background, including the fact that you're an Air Force Academy grad, which is, is very impressive to me. I, I didn't go to the Academy. I served in the Air Force, but did not go. That's quite impressive. So, so Marin, you um, provided me some, some really good materials to look over prior to our interview, um, and it was really very helpful to learn about some of the very interesting core alternative solutions to reach agreements in disputes. So things I, I really was not aware. I mean, I heard about different things, but was not aware about all the different um, aspects. So, I mean, I learned that there's things, alternatives to courts, such as arbitration, mediation, and collaborative law. So I'd like to focus our discussion on the different avenues available to parties who have, for example, a business or real estate dispute. So, so Marin, just let's first start with the court. Like court is one option. I know that you discussed that court's an option, but I know courts can be very frustrating as a way to dispose, you know, disposition of a business or real estate issue. So can you, with all your years of experience, Marin, can you explain to us why is the court resolution process so frustrating to, 
to both, you know, the people involved in the dispute, as well as I'm sure lawyers like you. Can you explain a little bit of that, that to our listeners? Uh, sure. And, and I don't necessarily have any scientific evidence to support my experience, but um, <laughs> right. I've, I've been doing this for 21 years and I really like our form of government and our judicial system. But in my experience, it's really designed for criminal law. Right. All of our constitutional protections are, you know, innocent before proven guilty and that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. So when you're not involved in a criminal proceeding, those protections that are built in to make sure the government doesn't oppress us are sometimes too calcified and rigid to be able to flex and accommodate a civil matter where time is money and business matters and we need to get in and get out so that we don't you know, lose our stock price or we don't lose this contract where businesses are trying to be nimble, resolve a dispute and get back to business. The court system just does not flex for that. It doesn't recognize that. Um, and it's, it's not, in my opinion, it's not really made very well for civil and business disputes. Wow. Yeah, I never thought of that's really interesting when you compare to the criminal, right, the criminal uh, uh, courts. So it would be different, like negotiating a sentence or whether someone's guilty by negotiation as opposed to a judge. I never that's a really great way you explained that. Yeah. Okay. So I'm sorry. So go on. Oh, sure. No problem. So you will find in the court system, many of them are starting to develop um, alternative dispute resolution processes. And so you'll hear an acronym ADR. Um, some of them just have court ordered arbitration, or some of them will have mediation, some will have settlement. And those words are not synonyms, they don't mean the same thing. And so it's sometimes quite frustrating for litigants who are now involved in a lawsuit, which is very foreign and very stressful to them to walk into the court and then feel like the court's pushing them into something else they've never heard of. So I thought, you know, we could talk a little bit about what each one of those things is, uh, the differences, they are not the same. And typically what they're designed to do is give the parties an ability to resolve their disputes outside the court system because it's faster, cheaper, and usually results in a solution that people like better than what the court ruling is going to be. Okay. Okay, good. So you mentioned, so arbitration, do you want to explain that as an alternative sure. to going to court? Okay. Sure. So arbitration is the most like court because with arbitration you have, and I'm doing air quotes in the sky, mm-hmm. what's called a third party neutral. And that is a third party that the, the litigants hire. Um, and that third party is required to be neutral an arbitrator serves like a judge. They make decisions and, and their decision is binding. Um, the parties submit briefs and have little mini trials just like you would at court, but you hire this third party neutral and you have to pay for his or her time. And then the arbitrator makes decisions and rulings on evidence and admissibility. All the stuff you've seen um, on TV for court, they do those things also in an arbitration. The difference is uh, the parties get to pick their arbitrator. So you might hire a retired judge or you might hire a lawyer or you might hire, if it's a construction dispute, somebody who's very familiar with construction um, and all that's involved in the construction contract. So you get a lot more flexibility on who you're going to hire as an arbitrator. Um, The thing that's, that's kind of interesting that most people are not aware of 
sometimes you'll see in a contract that there's a mandatory arbitration clause. Those are generally enforceable, but if that's all it says, then there's a lot of detail that needs to be worked out between the parties. For example, what rules are we going to follow? Each state has different arbitration rules that talk about discovery and depositions and all the procedures that are going to be followed. There's also a set of rules under the American Arbitration Association. And there are commercial dispute rules and construction law rules and right, a whole host of different rules about how this process is going to work. So if you're mandatory arbitration clause doesn't say one way or the other, the lawyers on each side are going to have to negotiate that and figure out which set of rules you're going to follow. So the easiest way to think of this is arbitration is sort of like a mini trial or a mini court that the parties can control and can pick their own sets of rules as long as they can get along and agree. If they can't, then the arbitrator is going to start making some of those decisions for them. Okay. Maren, so is this arbitrator, is that, is that person, do they have to be a lawyer or a judge or someone, you know, with that background or could, is there just any person who could be an arbitrary with train, uh, arbitrator with the proper training? Right. So each state has their own rules. And um, if you're going through the American Arbitration Association or some industry group, uh, AAA and the industry groups have their own rules as well. Basically, the, the most common rule is no, you do not have to be a judge or a lawyer, but yes, you do have to have arbitration training. So when I worked in Hawaii, for example, the Superior Court, which is the most common court that people would run into in business and real estate disputes, they had a court ordered arbitration program. So if there was a business dispute below a certain dollar threshold, usually it's $100,000 or $150,000 the court will order the parties to go meet with an arbitrator instead or first. Um, And that arbitrator has gone through training that's supervised and managed by the court. The arbitrator will enter a decision. And if the parties are happy with that decision, the case is over. If they're not, they go back to court. Um, Having said that, that is a subset of arbitration that's managed by the courts. Almost all parties in all kinds of disputes can choose to hire an arbitrator outside the court system on their own. And in that construct, which rules you follow and and whether the arbitration decision is binding is entirely up to what the parties want to do. Okay. Yeah. Does that make sense? Oh, my God. You explained it so well, actually. Yeah. It (laughs) makes perfect sense. And I I was kind of laughing when I was listening to talk about the clauses in the contract. I mean, I can't tell you how many different contracts I must have signed in my life even as a lawyer where it talks about that arbitration I just like you know sign it and really don't pay much attention to that like oh this is never going to be a court issue I can't even think of what type of things I might have signed but you always see that right you see that in the little contracts arbitration and you know like I never read the fine print very bad very bad as a lawyer right so uh yeah so is is there Maureen are there certain type of cases that are most common that would be used for arbitration or I mean I'm assuming it could be any type of case or are there typical types of you know civil cases that are you that people actually opt for arbitration right um it can be any kind of case so when I was talking about the Hawaii system the court ordered arbitration program took the smaller disputes 
and pushed them off into arbitration first to see if they could resolve it outside the court system. Um, Because the courts are really backlogged. They don't have enough staff. And this is one way to try to divert some of the smaller matters. If you have multiple parties and millions of dollars involved, I'm doing air quotes again, those are typically called complex commercial disputes. And those do not normally get shunted off to an arbitrator because they're just too complicated. Um, Or if you have multi-district litigation that's going on in multiple states, those typically also do not go to an arbitrator. Um, So usually the smaller matters, or if you have an arbitration clause in your contract and it's mandatory, those can't even go to court. If they do go to court, somebody's likely going to file a motion to compel arbitration, and the courts routinely grant those, and it just gets kicked out of the court system and goes over to an arbitrator. So many of them are controlled by agreements between the parties before the dispute even arises. Okay. Yeah. So unlike me, read the, read the fine print if you're afraid of it going to arbitration. <laughs> so, okay, Maren, that was a, such a great explanation. Very clear. Um, it's, it's so obvious that you're such an expert in these areas. So other than arbitration, then, um, I, I know in the materials that I was reading, there's also mediation. Can you talk a little bit about what that is, what that sure. entails, and what type of cases might go to mediation? Just, you know, explain that to us so we can understand that better. Sure. So mediation is a completely different kind of beast. Uh, mediation is a fully voluntary process. So if you don't want to mediate, you don't have to. Um, and again, the parties will pick a third party neutral. So you pick one, I pick one, hopefully we pick the same one. If we don't, sometimes what the parties will do is I pick a mediator, you pick a mediator, and we ask those two mediators to get together and pick a third one, right? All of those machinations are intended to make sure that whoever serves as the mediator really doesn't have any biases or um, unfair connections with one of the parties. Once that's done, then that mediator talks confidentially to each party. So let's talk a bit of business dispute. Let's say, Farah, you and I are in business together and we've been in business for a couple of years and we can't, we just can't stand each other anymore. <laughs> we <laughs> need to get a, right. We need to get a business divorce. Um, but we don't want to spend a year and a half in court, which is what it'll likely take if we file a lawsuit. We want it resolved much faster than that. And we want it to be less expensive and less formal. We don't want to spend on an attorney each to try to litigate this thing. So we might hire our lawyers and then those lawyers will negotiate and see if we can pick a third party neutral mediator. That mediator then talks to me and finds out what really matters to me, what my motivations are and what, what I might be willing to settle for. The mediator then goes and talks to you and has a similar conversation and gets permission from you to tell me the parts that you're willing to let me hear. Gets permission from me to tell you the parts I'm willing. And so they work kind of as an intermediary and they facilitate a conversation back and forth between the parties that are are having trouble talking to each other directly. Um, The mediator might be a lawyer, might be a retired judge or might have nothing to do with the law at all because In a mediation, what this really becomes is conflict resolution, right? You and I learning to talk to each other again through someone else so that we can just bring an end to this disagreement. Um, 
sometimes you could hear a mediator say something that you would not be willing to hear me say. Does that make sense? Yes, yes, definitely. Mm -hmm. So there are two main types of mediation that I'd like to talk about. And then I'll pause and take a breath so you can get a word in edgewise. (laughs) Oh, no, go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah, no, this is so fascinating. Okay. Uh So in there are two main types of mediation that I'm going to talk about today. Um, People who are familiar with mediation are probably losing their minds right now because there's a lot of kinds of mediation. But to make this really simple, there's facilitative mediation and then there's evaluative. And facilitative is a model where the mediator creates a space for you and I to talk and facilitates difficult conversations, um, tells me what they hear me saying to make sure that there's not a miscommunication and, and stuff like that, just really facilitates difficult conversation. Evaluative mediation is much more law focused and rights focused. And that mediator might look me in the eyes and say, Marin, I hear you, but your case just isn't as strong as you think it is. There's this case law out there that you're going to have to overcome or your evidence just isn't strong enough. You're missing this piece. So you can go to trial if you want, but you have some significant holes that you really need to think about before you march off into court. That evaluative style mediation causes many attorneys to want to hire a retired judge or an attorney as a mediator. There are some states where evaluative mediation is not allowed, where mediators who do that are considered to be practicing law and it's, it's just completely disallowed under the mediation rules. So you'll have to talk to your lawyer in whatever state you're in to find out what's allowed in your state and what mediation might look like. In Washington, for example, we can do, that's where I live, we can do either evaluative or facilitative, and I'm a, I serve as a mediator. I do both. It really kind of depends on what the dispute is like. Um, but we need to be really clear about what we're doing and why we're doing it. And, and sometimes at the end of the day in a mediation, your legal rights don't matter a whole lot. Uh, because quite often, if your legal rights were clear, we wouldn't be having this fight right? Usually this is where it's muddy and gray and it's just not clear how this is going to work out. So we're both going to make compromises just to make this go away and and let it be over sooner. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. Now, when you were saying the the evaluative, uh, which you said in mediation, which is not allowed in some states, do you, I mean, you said it depends on the type of case, but do you have a preference like as a as a lawyer or as a mediator, or does it really just, is it fact specific where the evaluative is actually giving advice to each parties about, like you said, case law or, you know, right. is, is, that sounds like it would be helpful, but maybe some people, the litigants don't, or the two parties may not like that. I don't know. Right. Right. Um, so a couple of things, uh, it's not really legal advice necessarily because as a mediator, I'm a third party neutral. I'm not on your side. Mm-hmm. Right. But I'm not on their side either. So what this, the evaluative mediation becomes is more reality testing. Quite often, the parties think they're right, right? That's how they got here. Yeah, true. And and they'll need a little bit of gentle prodding about, well, have you thought about X? Because it feels right from your perspective. The judge isn't going to necessarily join in your perspective. The judge is going to hear this as a third party. So 
here's this case law that's staring you in the face and it's going to make your case difficult. And I would then look at their lawyer and say, don't you agree? And the lawyer most likely will say, yeah, it's a problem and we're working on that. Mm -hmm. But sometimes the party needs to hear someone else say, you know, this isn't a slam dunk. And holy smokes, if you're going to have a jury trial, it's it's not even close to a slam dunk because now you have to convince six or 12 people right? That you're right. And what if they don't like you or believe you? Yeah. Yeah. Right? So, so yeah. Yeah. So you got an objective person, the media correct. objective and is telling both parties the truth on, Hey, this is, <laughs> this is not as good, you know, for you as you think. And here are the faults. So yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, right. Or, or maybe it's a slam dunk and sure you're most likely to win, but do you want to wait 18 months? Yeah. W- with a chance that you're not going to win. Right. It, yeah. Who, who knows? Your prime witness might get hit. Sorry, this hit by a bus between now and then. And now you can't prove your case. True. True. Right? Yeah. Those are all things to think about. True. Yeah. 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 <laughs> you don't think about those things. Right. Yeah. The witness, something to have to do a witness. Um, You're right. OK. So is there. So what are the um, I mean, as far as mediation, what are the like the pros of why someone might want to consider it um, mediation? Right. I mean, you, you explained a lot of that. But is there anything else you can explain as to why this might be a better option than going to court? Oh, definitely. A, a bunch of things. So I mentioned at the beginning, ADR means alternative dispute resolution. And it's kind of an umbrella term that covers everything we're talking about today. There's a new term that has been coined since the pandemic called ODR, which is online dispute resolution. So a lot of these models, particularly mediation, can be done virtually by Zoom or some other platform. And so I've discovered recently that a lot of my clients are interested in virtual mediation because they don't have to travel to their lawyer's office or some meeting space. They can just log in at the end of their business day. So it's just so much more flexible. Um, It's also less stressful because you don't have to um, see the person face-to-face in the same room. It's a little bit easier to negotiate by Zoom because it's a little bit less personal. Sorry, I've I've kind of jumped ship for you and and moved over to Zoom mediation. Um, Let me talk a little bit about mediation itself specifically. The... It isn't necessarily the type of case that lends itself to mediation. It's more the type of client. Um, If the client wants to maintain control, then you're going to want to look at arbitration and mediation because once it goes to court, the court is in charge and it's the court's schedule that matters, not yours. (laughs) Um, And so if the court can't have a hearing on your motion for another six to 12 weeks, too bad. That's what it's going to take. If you're in mediation, you could file a motion and have a hearing on it next week. So you have a lot more control. And if if a hearing next week is not doable for you, you negotiate with the parties and and you work on a different hearing date. Now, in mediation, there aren't really hearings, but you can pick what your days are to have a conversation. And you can choose the times and the locations. You can't do that in court. Uh, With mediation, it's confidential. The parties agree by contract that everything we talk about doesn't go anywhere. And if, if somebody breaches that, it's a breach of contract claim, right? In court, it's public. It's part of the public record. And by law, they can't keep anyone out. So you've got reporters and news media who go to court hearings and then report on it in the press. 
as a business owner, you may not want the dirty laundry of your business or your real estate transaction aired in the newspaper. Through mediation, you can control that. You can keep anyone out that you don't want involved. Um, Yeah. I I, I just thought of something with the mediation when you were saying confidential. If for some reason the mediation didn't work out and then the parties had to, to, for some reason, went to court, what happens to all, are those discussions still confidential from the mediation? For the most part, yes. Um, Under the rules of evidence, there's a federal rule and a, a rule in the state of Washington called Rule 408 which says that communications made in a settlement uh, posture are not admissible as evidence in court. It's not just mediation. It applies to any attempt to settle. So it might be through mediation or it might just be conversations between the lawyers. Having said that, um, it's not 100% effective. So for example, I'm going to go back to to what we discussed before. You and I are in business, Farah. Last year, we made $3 million. And in our mediation, I offered to buy you out for one and a half or $2 million. Okay. Mm-hmm. The fact that we made $3 million, totally admissible at court. That fact is not a settlement communication. The fact that I offered you one and a half or $2 million, that is confidential. And that is not admissible in court. Okay. However... There is case law that chips away at that. Um, some recent case law has said, you can't offer my $2 million offer to you in court, but I can. Well, if I can submit my own offers that were made during settlement discussions or mediation, now the judge or jury is hearing my side of the story and it really puts you in the hot seat to tell your side of the story about what you talked about in mediation or settlement, right? Otherwise it's a one-sided story. Yes. So a lot of people are really unhappy about those rulings because it chips away at confidentiality. Um, so yes, it's supposed to be confidential. Again, I'm doing all kinds of air quotes because it, it, it really is a difficult situation that if, if parties are considering doing this, you really need to talk to your lawyer and have a lot of detailed conversations in your context about how the confidentiality rules will apply. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So it depends on the state, the facts and circumstances. So, okay. Well, that was a great explanation. So going back to the the Zoom um, issue that, you know, oh my goodness, with the, you know, COVID and all that and the pandemic, like every businesses went to Zoom, right? People working, even government working from home and if they have meetings on Zoom and it seems very practical. And as you said, in cases where parties didn't want to like be in the same room, like they, you know, they feel that one person ripped the other person off in the business and they can't <laughs> stand each other. Right. Which is so, but do you see just from your experience and I don't know how long with, since the zoom uh, alternative, I, I, I guess it's pretty new, right. With the, yeah. with the pandemic, do you feel there's any drawbacks to that? Just um, in any yes. way? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So there are a couple of things. Um, There are some entities now that are doing online dispute resolution training and certification. So I happened to sign up for one of those at the beginning of the pandemic. Um, And it turned out to be fantastic because who knew the pandemic was going to last two years, right? Uh Holy smokes. So it predates pandemic, but as you may have noticed, the Zoom matured during the pandemic tremendously, right? At the the beginning of pandemic zoom nobody knew how to use it it was kind of clunky it didn't have a lot of options 
post-pandemic, it is, it's like graduate level now. And that growth really changed the face of online dispute resolution as well, right? So I've had online mediations, both as a mediator and as a party, and you can create breakout rooms so that everybody has their own little virtual room to meet in and people can pop back into the main room whenever they're ready. So it really feels like you're in the same building, moving from room to room. Uh, in that respect, it's fantastic. The downside, Zoom fatigue is a real thing, right? If I sit here and stare at the screen for hour after hour after hour, I'm, I'm just exhausted. And so mediators are starting to find that they can't mediate online as many hours in a given day as they could in person. It's just too exhausting. Um, mediations in person, in my experience, sometimes go 11, 14 hours in a day. Um, wow. Oh yeah, my it's, gosh. It, it's crazy. Sometimes the parties have to do that because they need to just get so exhausted that they give up the parts of the fight that just don't matter very much. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Like, yeah. So I mean, it's, you know, it's like technology. It's wonderful. It's great. It improves our lives, but there's like always like some, right. There's drawbacks to everything. So I guess yeah. I could see that, but it is great. They have that option. I know even in the military, the armed forces with the, uh, you know, discharge review boards, I said, do cases like that. I did a couple on zoom after the pandemic, they didn't, uh -huh. off, you know, we couldn't go in person. I think they're still doing that. They found that it's, it's more practical. So they're doing those hearings by Zoom. So, um, well, and wow. for the military, you raise yeah. a good point. For the military, if you're stationed somewhere else or you're deployed, it's really hard to do dispute resolution because you're not you're not in the home state or you're not where the the mother is or your business partner is in a different state because you've deployed. With online dispute resolution, it changes all that. You could have a mediation online. It doesn't matter where you're deployed as long as you have internet access. And you can hire a mediator with military background who happens to live in Texas, even though your business partner is in Florida and you're in Dubai, right? None of that matters anymore. So from military perspective, this has opened up solutions that military life made difficult before. And, and it, it just plugs that hole and makes it easier for military members to to do their business and close things out, deal with a landlord tenant dispute or a piece of real estate they own back in their hometown. You, you can do all that online if you're willing to do online dispute resolution. Yeah. I, yeah. That you made for military. Yeah. How, uh, how awesome that is. Yeah. That's yeah. a good point. Yeah. No, honestly, technology definitely uh, improves the world in so many ways. And sometimes there's the, the disadvantage, or like you said, the, the, the people being all, uh, you know, being after 11, 12 hours on the computer could uh, just like on being on social media, right? right. Social media <laughs> or being on your little iPhone, which is our personal computer could be bad for you. So, That's okay, right. well, that was, um, that was really quite uh, informative, the mediation, I could see how that's a really good um, alternative as well. So I, I know in the materials, Marin, you also talked about, well, there was mention of another type of uh, resolution or alternative to court, which is collaborative law. Yeah. Um, can you explain that and then how that's different from mediation and arbitration? Sure. And this is probably the youngest of the three. Uh, it's a type of dispute resolution that has actually gained a lot of recognition and is used a lot in family law. 
I'm trying to pull it into the business and real estate sphere because I see a lot of similarities. And I think in many respects, it will provide a solution that's currently not available to my business and real estate clients. It's different than mediation because you don't hire a third party neutral. Uh, in both arbitration and mediation, typically businesses each have a lawyer and then the lawyers get together and hire a third party neutral, either an arbitrator or a mediator. In collaborative law, each party has an attorney and that attorney is trained in collaborative law. We'll talk about what that means in a minute. And then those attorneys work together with the clients directly without a third party neutral or facilitator to brainstorm solutions and, and come up with a plan. Um, the reason that, that lawyers have to be trained in collaborative law is because it is very, very different than what we learned in law school. Um, as an attorney in law school, we're taught, at least in the vein of litigation, that our job is to advocate for our clients and get them the most best optimal result we can possibly get. And we're supposed to be fierce advocates. In the criminal system, what that means is I tell my side, all of my good sides of my story, and I don't say any of the bad sides, and I just really push very hard with my side of the story. And then if I'm defense counsel, the government does the same thing, pushing really hard with all the reasons why my client is guilty. And so it's designed as an adversarial system. And through that clashing, does this sound like law school to you, Farah? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> through that clashing and the fierce advocacy on both sides, the theory is you'll ultimately get to the truth because I point out my strengths, they point out my weaknesses, and somewhere in the middle is the answer. Okay, now let's talk about a business dispute. If you and I are fighting and it's tearing our company apart, the last thing we want to do is increase the temperature and increase the adversity and make us fight more than we already are. We're not after some cosmic truth with a capital T here. What we're after is a business solution, a way to solve this problem so we can get back to the business of doing business. And so collaboratively trained attorneys focus much more on their counselor and advisor skills and much less on their adversary skills. So rather than increasing the fight, collaboratively trained attorneys talk about how do we make this fight go away that solves your needs and interests and we're going to focus less on, less on your rights we're going to focus more on what do you need to get back to business treat it like a business deal mm -hmm. does, does that make sense yes yes absolutely because in the business you're losing money more and you're you're you know fighting right yeah you're losing money every day so um, right. that makes perfect sense so the way uh, I've, mm -hmm. I've described it to folks in the past well let me let me talk about family law because it quickly becomes obvious why it's working so well in family law. Uh, so Farah, let's say you and I are married and we have three children. We can go to court and tear each other apart in court. Our kids get to watch all of that. It's a public process and it's painful for our children. And now all our neighbors know what we went through, right? Collaborative law would say you hire a collaborative attorney. I hire a collaborative attorney. We sit down and we figure out how to not be married anymore and not tear our children apart in the process. We both focus on protecting the children, making sure that we both have visitation rights or however we want to describe that. And we come up with a solution that works for our family 
It doesn't really matter what the law says. Does that make sense? Yes. Mm -hmm. Okay. That works in a business divorce too. If you and I are running a business together and we no longer want to do that, but we want the business to survive and we don't want all of our clients to know our dirty laundry, well, let's hire some collaboratively trained attorneys, sit down and come up with a business solution. I don't have to like you. I don't have to keep doing business with you, but I don't want to destroy our business in the process. We worked hard to create this, right? So I'm hoping that illustration shows there's a lot of similarities here. Um, yeah, yeah, right? per- perfect, perfect uh, analogy. So, and it, se- it seems like from all, it sounds like a good option actually. For Yeah, and it, if we worked hard to create our brand, the last thing we want to do is tarnish it in court over an 18 month process, spending all of our money, increasing the adversarialness and pointing out all each other, each of each other's flaws, right? That, that's, that's bad business. We don't want to do that. Um, and the court system says you have to. That's the way it works. That's the way it's designed. So when I've described this process to my business and real estate clients or potential clients, every single one of them has looked at me and said, how, how do I get into that? That's the way I want to solve business problems. I don't want to go to court. Court is only good for attorneys. <laughs> no offense taken. Yeah, billable <laughs> right? hours, right? <laughs> <laughs> right? Yeah. 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 So that seems, so that's kind of like the hot thing now where you find that people you're talking to and explain the process want to opt to the, with the collaborative law process? Well, I think the clients do. Uh, Here's the struggle. In order for me to take on a client as a collaborative attorney, I have to find another attorney to represent the other side who is also trained in collaborative law. And so the struggle we're having is getting attorneys to understand that this is okay. It's not malpractice if you don't insist on protecting every one of your client's rights, right? In law school, we're told we have to do that. This model says, no, you don't. If, if the client doesn't care about being right on that issue, then just ignore it, right? If, if the client wants to protect their business and resolve this dispute collaboratively, then you do that. Um, born and bred litigators, their minds explode when I talk about this because we have rules of professional responsibility and ethical requirements. Um, And many of those rules and ethical obligations talk about being the mouthpiece for your client and speaking in in ways that, that they don't, couldn't do themselves because they don't have a law degree, they don't understand the rules of evidence. And so it all focuses on advocacy because that's how the criminal system is built. This is a completely different thing. This is counselor and advisor. Um, And so it's a significant shift for a lot of attorneys. So I'm trying to spread the word about what collaborative law is and convince business and real estate lawyers, this is a thing that would work. Your client doesn't have to go to court. There are other options. and it doesn't have to be an arbitrator or a mediator. Now I'm gonna, sorry, I'm gonna talk about my personal experience. I personally don't like to hire mediators that are retired judges because if I'm trying to do something different than court, why would I hire someone who was trained in court? Right? The yes. re- retired judges typically follow the procedures they're used to in court and they have, they have lots of experience and they know the law and they know how this system works. but if what I want is a solution, 
then I want to hire somebody who's focused on creative solutions and understands business or understands the real estate cycle that I'm in or, or something like that. And a collaboratively trained attorney through their training focuses on solving the problem, not on being right and proving their case. So it's a, it's a totally different mindset toward dispute resolution. The way you explain it, though, Lauren, it definitely seems to me any business would want to solve the problem and not care so much of, you know, 100 percent. They, they want to solve the problem and use a creative solution. So it seems like it's an ideal avenue for businesses or like you said, your real estate cases. Yeah. You handle. Um, seems to make sense. You convinced me that it's the, pro- <laughs> the appropriate the appropriate avenue. Matt Maron, in talking about all these different things, I just want to get clear. So you're an attorney in Vancouver, Washington, the state of Washington, right? Yeah. So what, who, so what clients can hire you? I just want to, cause so you're, you're practicing Washington state law. So a client, would they have to be located in Washington? Like what kind of clients could you accept based on right. the fact that that's your jurisdiction? Just, can you explain right. that? Right. Um, So yes, certainly anybody who has a dispute or real estate or a business in Washington, I'm licensed here. So that's a pretty easy one. doesn't matter much where the person is. If I'm applying Washington law for whatever reason, I can do that almost anywhere. Um, I'm also licensed in and actively licensed in Oregon and Washington. So we can straddle those two states. Um, I'm inactive currently in California and Hawaii. So that is a little bit more of a stretch for me. But um, what about a potential client who has real estate in Idaho? Could they hire me? Theoretically, yes, but I don't know Idaho law. And so that would probably not be an appropriate case for me to take on. But what I could do is reach out through the collaborative networks that I have and try to help find a collaborative attorney in Idaho um, so that we could get them connected with somebody who, who knows that body of law and knows what they're doing. Um, the other thing that's interesting about the collaborative process is the parties hire expert witnesses together. So for example, I'm not going to practice law in Idaho without a license, but if I'm settling a business dispute and they happen to have real property in Idaho, the parties can hire an attorney licensed in Idaho together to give them legal advice about how to handle that issue in Idaho. Would that be a, like a consultant for you? Yes. If you, for you and the, the parties, I guess. Right. So you can right. do So yeah, I, I'm just trying to fit in terms of, you know, obviously most of the people are military related, the listeners, yeah. but obviously you help every, you know, everyone. But if there was a military member listening or a veteran, just to see like, they're probably after listening to this, they're going to want to hire you. If they have an issue, they're going to be <laughs> calling you saying, I don't care. My, my, this issue is not in Washington state, but can you help me? So I was just trying to get to the bottom line of, right. you know, who you could help. So technically you could by hiring these consultants or experts, if it, yeah. you know, and that's up to you if you want to do that in another state, because you know, the process, process so well and then the expertise as to the legal issue in Idaho or Maine or whatever is a separate issue if you want to get into that by hiring an expert because you don't want to commit malpractice you know you you want to know what the law is without you know hard there so okay and and as a mediator mediating is not practicing law so I can mediate almost anywhere and as you can imagine my mediation style is infused with this collaborative law style 
right? Because I, I believe in it. So I can bring some of these theories of collaborative law into the dispute, even if I'm serving as a mediator. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I mean, just having you explain it, everything so clearly, and it sounds like you're very passionate about this because you're, you're caring more about having a, a speedy resolution, something that doesn't cost the clients as much money. Um, and yeah, I, I would just think people want to opt and any of these different um, type of um, solu- uh, alternatives to going to court and spending, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars or whatever, right. depending on the case. So um, and there's, there yeah. are some cases where this isn't right. Right. I mean, if this is a bet the company dispute and if you lose, the company is destroyed, you might want to take that to court. Right. Yeah. There isn't much room to compromise. If, if it's all or nothing, no matter what we do, then then mediation and compromise and collaboration probably isn't going to get it done. Yeah. You don't want to compromise. Right. <laughs> you want to win. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. So, um, OK. Was there anything else in the collaborative law arena that you want to discuss? I think we discussed everything, but I'm not sure if there's anything else you want to add to, to that. Well, yeah. Two things. Uh, it's confidential, just like mediation is. You sign a contract saying that it's confidential. So all of those. Uh, but wait be aware of potential ways to get it into court. Those are all still true for collaborative law as well. But by law, it's required to be treated as confidential to the maximum extent of the law. So that's good. Um, The other thing that's different than mediation is in collaborative law, the collaborative attorneys sign a contract agreeing that if this effort to resolve this collaboratively fails, they will not represent that client in court. They cannot. They're prohibited from doing so. That's different than mediation. In mediation, quite often, I'll take a client to mediation. If it doesn't work, then I take that client to court and we go litigate it. In collaborative law, that is not allowed. And the reason that that's prohibited by law is the collaborative attorneys and the parties really focus on the process and solving the process so that you have to hire a new attorney. It's more expensive if this doesn't work. That's by design because they want everyone focused on settling this, not on how could I use this in court later if we fail or, yeah. right? Yes. Mm-hmm. It's, it's really focused. Right? As, as your attorney, I have no incentive to fail because I'll make more money in court. I, I can't represent you in court. I'm done if this fails. So it incentivizes the attorneys to really focus on a solution through the collaborative process as well. And that is a unique feature of collaborative law that doesn't exist in mediation or arbitration. Yeah, that's interesting, but that makes sense as well, right? The whole whole purpose is to try to reach an agreement. So I I can see that makes sense. Okay. Um, So other than the collaborative, we talked about that collaborative mediation, arbitration, are there other, what is another means for someone to solve some type of dispute? Sure. Um, So I I think the last category that I would talk about is a much more informal category. Parties can always negotiate directly or through their attorney to settle, right? So judges will often have what are called settlement conferences where the judge calls all the parties and their attorneys in and tries to talk about ways that this could settle or solutions that, that might be possible before the trial begins. And quite often, well, 95% of cases settle, right? Less than 5% of every lawsuit ever filed actually goes to trial. So the overwhelming majority of cases out there go through one of these processes, either arbitration, mediation, collaborative law, or some separate settlement effort. Um, 
And your judge quite often will help you set up an opportunity to settle. And I have a, a case, for example, out here in Klickitat County where the judge has a commissioner, um, which sort of is like a baby judge or a helper judge, assistant judge. And the commissioner presided over an all-day mediation between all the parties and did the same thing a mediator would do, bouncing back and forth between the parties, trying to help them reach a solution. And the thing that was nice about that is the commissioner was free. We didn't have to pay his salary. It was a service that the court provides to try to reduce the number of cases that go through the trial. So settlement conferences or settlement efforts through the court or through community mediation services are all available and they're much less expensive, particularly if your dispute is not a high dollar one. Okay. Yeah. I, wow. I didn't know that only 5% actually go to yeah. litigate. I did not know that. I guess that's good actually. Right. <laughs> right. Cause that's good for the courts as well as for the parties involved. So, yeah. um, so that's, that's, I guess the last um, option. Yeah. Court and then do, trying to get a settlement through that, through the pre-settlement conferences. Okay. Um, wow. What a great rundown. I feel like I'm a lawyer, but I didn't know, well, you know, you hear of arbitration. As I said, I signed away my rights to arbitration and several things I've, I'm sure I signed here and there in different right. contracts, but um, did not know the ins and outs. So that was so helpful for anyone listening. Um, and I just would imagine, you know, I, if I ever needed anything and if I had like, I wish I had land in Washington state. Well, I wish I didn't, ha- I-, I wouldn't have wanted to have a dispute with it, but I would definitely hire you. It sounds so, so, um, so knowledgeable. And you, you said you've been doing this for 20 years. So, yeah. so finally, Marin, let me, um, I want to ask you one last question. I, I ask mm-hmm. all the attorneys that I'm interviewing. Um, the name of the podcast is military law and life matters. And, you know, we all know that, you know, law matters are intertwined with your life matters and you know, anything you're working on. So can you share a life lesson as it pertains to the disposition of these, you know, the different type of uh, arbitration, mediation, et cetera, cases, uh, dispute uh, resolution matters you discussed, uh, a life lesson that would be helpful to anyone who's listening to our podcast? Sure. Um, I, I think it's my worst horror story and, and what really started me focusing on alternative dispute resolution models. I had a client in Hawaii who believed he was right. I believed he was right. Um, and there was a dispute, and, and I'm you know, going to leave this vague on purpose, but we believed that we were in the right. We believed that this went to trial. We were going to win. Uh, there were settlement offers made in both directions. Nobody wanted to settle. Everybody wanted to go to court and prove themselves right because we had been wronged, right? <laughs> Sorry, too many right and wrongs. We had been, <laughs> the client had been wronged and deserved the client's day in court to prove that they didn't do anything wrong, that this whole breach of contract, and this was a real estate dispute, was a complete misunderstanding and the other side was the bad guy, okay? Seven years later, that case settled for exactly the same amount that had been offered in the first six months. So it cost exactly the same amount to settle it, plus all the attorney's fees that had been spent in the seven years in between. And the client's business folded, the client's wife died, and the client's business partner died in the interim. Now, that's an extreme example, but he spent seven years of his life trying really, really hard to be proven right. And in the meantime, he lost everything. 
Wow. For, for me, that made it very, very clear. How valuable is it to be right? If he could have resolved that in the first six months to a year and spent the rest of his life with his business partner and his wife before they died instead of the stress of fighting and litigating about something that ultimately he just settled anyway. And I'm not shaming him. This isn't his fault. It's the way the process works, right? 95% of these settle. You, the likelihood that you're going to get your day in court is almost zero. And your day in court isn't going to be fair, right? It isn't about fairness. It's about what you can prove, what the evidence says, and what the laws say. And it might be that what the law says isn't actually fair. Yeah. Right? Yes. So re, I, I guess the life lesson I would give to military members and all of my potential clients is really think about how important it is to be right and, and what your life is worth because court is stressful. And at the end of the day, sometimes it's just a business lesson and it's faster, cheaper and easier to take it as a business lesson, make a decision and move on like you would every other business deal. Well, that is a perfect uh, way to actually summarize the pros of why you want to go maybe these <laughs> other these other alternate methods. And I can see why you have a passion for trying to maybe resolve, get into the more collaborative law type of uh, settlements based on your personal experience, right? And were you on that case for, for yes. seven years? Oh, my goodness. Wow. I, I, I wasn't on it all seven because I got called back to active duty. So it continued after I left Hawaii. And then I found out later that what the, the end result was. And I just felt terrible for my client. Wow. So, so seven years, the time, the money. And then, like you said, the stress every day. Right. Like, this thing is pending, right? Like, oh, my. Wow. Um, that was a perfect way to end um, just as a summary of, of maybe people looking to these other alternate methods. So I wish you, I know you're you know, focusing a lot on that in your, in your firm. So, um, Marin, thank you so much. Um, I really appreciate all the time you took to explain all these different uh, ways to try to resolve matters without going to court. I know you're a very busy woman, a uh, partner in a law firm. So, so interesting to me. And I hope the listeners to, you know, whether you have a matter that you need to resolve or not, you, you may one day, you never know. So right. such uh, useful information. And I, again, so thank you so much for taking the time uh, to explain all this to us, Mar Marin. Excellent. I hope it was helpful. Thank you oh, for chatting with me. I appreciate it, Farah. It was very helpful, Marin. Thank you so much. And uh, take care, Marin. Hope to be in touch with you again. Take care. Thanks. Me too. You too. Bye. Bye. So I hope you enjoyed my conversation with attorney Marin Calvert. Marin so eloquently explained the alternatives to going to a court to sue an opposing party. She discussed why it may make sense to consider arbitration or mediation or collaborative law. She discussed the alternatives. Um, these alternatives actually save money, time, and stress of being involved in a drawn-out lawsuit. Marin also discussed sometimes these alternative forms may not be in a a party's best interest if it's kind of an all or nothing type of case where a settlement perhaps or compromise is not always in the interest of the party. So um, Marn is definitely an expert in litigation and all of these alternative forms for handling matters of dispute. So um, yeah, regardless of you know the legal issue you're facing, it's always good to get an expert opinion when you're facing legal 
a difficult legal issue in your life. And it's helpful to consult with an attorney who specializes in the matter because they will give you insight into your legal issue based on their expertise and years of experience. They'll come up and help you uh, with, you know, a strategic plan to resolve the matter. Because as I always say, ignoring a problem does not make it go away. So I'd ask you to please share the podcast with people who might benefit so they may learn some things um, to handle problems in their life. And uh, if you can, just go to iTunes and if please give it a five-star review if you can. Um, that kind of makes the podcast more visible to other military members or military community who might benefit from the podcast. And as I always say, please never, ever give up because there is always hope. I look forward to talking to you next time. Take care.